Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about before we receive the offering is uh, we like to celebrate when we do this, when we, when we have the offering. We like to celebrate what God's doing, whether it's uh, an activity we've done, if it's Love Adele, if it's all these different kind of things. But the main thing that we're all about, all those different activities are about our main mission, which is to find, help people find and follow Jesus. Everything we do should point to helping people find and follow Jesus. And so that happens in a variety of different ways. But when we receive the offering, a lot of that uh, is used, uh, we use our time, we use our finances, we do all kinds of different things that change people's lives. God, we, God uses us to do that as a family, as individuals. And so I'm going to bring Jeff up here, Jeff Stuffelbeam. Quite a few of you probably know Jeff, but a lot of you don't know Jeff. And so Jeff's uh, just an example of how the, the New Hope family has been used by God to change people's lives and to help them find and follow Jesus. And so Jeff's going to tell you a little bit about his story and what he's up to right now. Thanks, Tim. Well, yeah, like Tim said, uh, there's some of you I know, and, and there's a bunch of new faces here, so there's some of you I don't know. Uh, but uh, I've been a Christian now for uh, going on about eight years. It'll be eight years on November 4th. Uh, so back in 2011, before I knew the Lord, I lived a very non-Christian life. Um, I mean, I, I went to jail and prison and stuff like that, but uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on that because that's, that's old me and, and, uh, and I'm a new creation now. But uh, since then, uh, well, yeah, in November, I, I was uh, here attending New Hope a couple weeks before, uh, before I knew the Lord. And I actually had established a meeting with uh, Pastor Tom and was had a very different heart. I was I was gonna tear him up one side and down the other, and asking him how he could believe this stuff. And and in the midst of that, God, I had an encounter with Jesus, and He radically changed my heart. Uh, and so I didn't end up making that meeting, but I scheduled a different one with him, uh, and it had a very different feel to it. Uh, and so since then, I've, I've been plugged in here at New Hope. Uh, and then a couple months after um, I was saved and I got plugged in here, uh, I just uh, I felt this call to. Uh, to go on this uh, journey, this walk, um, just felt like I, I just needed to trust the Lord. And so this first one I went on, uh, it took about two weeks. I went on about a 100-mile circuit uh, around Iowa, uh, came back, learned a lot about just having faith in the Lord and that he is faithful. And uh, uh, the second one, uh, I ended up, it was about a year later in 2013. I was gone for about five months. I ended up in Fremont, Nebraska, among other places. Uh, but in the midst of that, I learned that just God's provision, and he, uh, when I got back, I was able to be completely debt-free. Uh, then the third one, uh, I ended up out in Wyoming, and uh, this time I took my younger brother, Jordan, with me, uh, which he's actually here today as well. Uh, Jordan and I actually came to know the Lord uh, around the same time together, uh, and so here at New Hope, we're uh, endearingly known as, as Double Stuff, because our, our last name is Uh So if you guys want to talk to him, he's here as well today. Uh, so then, then I had an opportunity to go to, to Texas and then to Washington. And throughout all these things, like, God taught me a lot of different things. And it always, hasn't always been, um, like, happy. Uh, you know, I'm a broken person, and God has helped me through a lot of that. And a lot of that healing process has been messy. Uh, and so when I got back from Washington, I, I was here for a time. And some of you may remember that uh, I was not in a good place. Um, but the truth is that through that, God has has healed me in amazing places and just did some really sweet things. Uh, so then my, my next step in my journey is I'm in uh, Minneapolis right now up in Minnesota. I'm on my sophomore year in college. Uh, the college I'm, I just kind of want to sit up here and, and uh, share this with you. Because uh, of the nature of what I've been doing the past years, I'm just kind of in and out. 
and I'm always seeing new faces. So I just kind of wanted to get up here and let you guys know what I'm up to, uh, that I'm always open for a conversation. I have information if any of you guys want to know uh, about what I'm doing, where I'm going, I'd love to share. If you guys want to hear my testimony in further detail, I can do that as well. Just make sure you give me a little while. It's, it, there's a lot in there. Um, but I'm excited to what God's doing in my life now. I'm excited what God's doing in New Hope. Uh, he is, he's amazing. Uh, yeah, he's good. And uh, so yeah, that's, that's me. Awesome. So like I said before, when we, when we receive the offering, we like to celebrate some things that God's doing within the church body. And this is a celebration of Jeff's life. And that's just what God does. He uses the body to help change. And there's lots of people I can look out of here and see that have been a part of this, this journey with Jeff and God's used. And so that's, that's a little bit about what we do when we receive the offering. It's not just about finances. It's about time. It's about your whole life, giving it to the Lord and letting him use it to change people's lives. And so let me pray before we receive our offering, and then we'll do that. Father God, we thank you so much for Jeff. We thank you for the story uh, of his life change, his uh, redemption to new life. As he said, he's a new man now, uh, created in you, Lord. And so we celebrate that today, and we celebrate all the different lives that you've changed over the course of years here at New Hope. We're thankful for a body of believers that uh, is open to follow and obey where you send us and where you lead us, um, whether it's loving Adele, loving Redfield, changing lives right here that walk through the door. Um, help us to be a family of believers that are always willing to take a step of faith, the next step of faith, in obedience to you, Lord. And so uh, we pray that the offerings that, uh, that uh, we receive today would be used to glorify you, Lord, to bring many into a saving knowledge of you and to further your kingdom uh, right here in Adel and all around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our family hasn't always been this close-knit, spiritually healthy, put-together, supermodel attractive, and all-around amazing. We were out of shape, broke, constantly sick. I became hypersensitive to yard work. Every time I tried, I just broke out in a sweat. We were a mess. And worst of all was our spiritual life. We were spiritually dry. Spiritually dehydrated. Spiritually dead. Spiritual skeletons in a spiritual desert. But then we discovered something that changed everything. Oil of Obey. What is Oil of Obey? Thanks to recent scientific breakthroughs that haven't fully been explained to us, we are making available, for the first time ever, a new line of topical and aromatic products that benefit not just your body, but your spirit as well. Spiritual Essential Oils. Pure, all-natural, therapeutic, empowering, purifying, moisturizing, gluten-free, naturalistically natural nature nature oils for your whole soul. Prevent spiritual fatigue with concentration. This blend of essential oils distilled from skunk cabbage, stinkwood root, and graveside flower concentrate will help you concentrate on your spiritual health like never before. Devotional time a little dry? Hydrate every soul in your house with Old Testament. We've ground the pages of old unused Bibles into a fine powder and added a touch of peppermint oil. Simply diffuse this scripture mixture and your whole family will be truly living and breathing God's word. 
slices and one topping, that would be probably ideal for me. Cinnamon is great for purification and protection against environmental threats. Administer a few drops to your skin, and ungodly impulses are quickly replaced by a gentle tingling sensation. Act now and we'll throw in our proprietary Peace Now dispenser at no extra charge. Fill your house with the peace that passes understanding and consciousness. Eat it, drink it, diffuse it, cook with it, put it in your laundry, bathe in it, remove your blood and fill your veins with it, or simply rub it directly on your soul. No, your soul. Now you can care for your soul the way nature intended with the distill oil of random shrubs and weeds from around the world. Oil of Obey Spiritual Essential Oil. Not just essential, reverential. Well, who wants some of that stuff, right? Well, if it was only that easy, huh, to have that oil that whatever problem you're facing, whatever hardship or emotion that you're going through, you just get a little of that, eat it, drink it, diffuse it, whatever, and it's all fixed. But we know that's not how life works, is it? And that's not how a relationship with God works, if it was only that easy, but that's not reality. I want to welcome you to New Hope Church. I want to welcome you to Lies That uh, We Believe, our sermon series. My name is Ryan, if we haven't met, and uh, just glad you're with us here this morning. Before we get into the message and some of those details, I want to mention a couple of things. First, next Sunday is a really special Sunday, so I want to encourage you to be here for that, and that is that we are doing our Baptism Celebration Sunday, which is not uh, some kind of docile, quiet little thing like we hoop and holler, and we celebrate how God has worked in people's lives and changing lives. We have several um, people getting baptized. We have some youth. We have some of those that are older. It's going to be just a great time of celebration. Here's when we're doing it. We're doing it, though, in between services. So if you typically come to second service as you're here today, can I just encourage you to get on your calendar or something to come a little bit early so that you can see the, uh, the celebration and be a part of that. We're going to be starting that in between. So about 10 o'clock, 10.05, something like that is when we're starting it. And so mark that on your calendars to be here for that special time. This is next Sunday. I also wanted to mention one other thing happening this week and just ask, I have a request on this one. And this is that one of our pastors, Pastor Tom, is uh, heading off to India this week. And uh, this is a really important trip. He's going to be going over there and spending more than a couple of weeks, but training um, uh, pastors and those who work in seminary and professors uh, about the scriptures and how to understand the scriptures, teach the scriptures. And uh, he's been, this has been a part of his ministry for several years, but uh, this is an important trip that he's doing. And here's my, my ask. Would you, would you please, as you remember, or maybe make a note to yourself, would you pray for Pastor Tom uh, as he's over there? We want to make sure that uh, as his church, we're just supporting him in prayer. Uh, as he's gone, we'll be sending updates on Sunday. Next week, we'll be showing you pictures or whatever we get from India so you have updates on how he's doing. But uh, we want to make sure that we're behind him in every way as he goes and does this important trip uh, leaving this week. So appreciate prayer for that. All right, back to lies that we believe. Now remember, we're taking some time, several weeks now, and we're talking about this idea that for whatever reason in various areas of our lives, you and I believe certain things that just aren't true. I mean, this is you and this is me. This is just all of us as people. Now, the reason this is so important is we're talking about this battle that wages between our ears is that the, what you believe will determine how you live. See, as we've talked about this, the, the beliefs that you have are the tracks that your life runs on. And so, again, the beliefs that you have, and it's not what you say you believe, it's actually what you believe will become what you live out in your daily lives. And so we're taking some time to do some thinking 
about our thinking and examining the things that we believe. Specifically, we're taking time to expose some specific lies and then taking those lies that we've exposed and identified and replacing them with truth. And as we practice this in our lives, it's going to be a game changer for every single one of us. This is something for all of us and something that you and I, that we need to do. Now, last week we spent some time, we talked about lies that we believe about God. Because there are lies that sometimes we pick up, things along the way, these pictures of who God is, and it's not accurate. We just pick them up along the way. That was last week. Today I want to take some time and talk about one lie. It's a lie that every single one of us battles. Now it's to varying degrees. For some of us it's a major deal. For others of us, maybe not so much. But this one lie has oftentimes such an impact on our lives. It has in some cases such a grip on our lives that we need to expose it. We need to expose it for what it is. We need to get our thinking corrected. We need to get, replace it with truth from God's word so that we can see some dynamic changes in our lives. So let me share with you the one lie that we have. Now, if you have your bulletin on the back side as a place to fill in some notes, and if you don't, uh, I think there's one or two still outside, you can go grab one of those. But here is the lie. Here's your first fill in the blank. It's this idea that what I feel must be true. What I feel, the feelings that I have about any number of things, the feeling that I have, the emotions that I carry about something, that it has to be true. It must be true. If I feel it, then it's true. Then it's, then it's factual. Now, I just want to make sure I have some clarity around this idea here real quick. Because God has created you and I as emotional beings. Emotions matter. Emotions in this regard should be validated. You feel certain things about all kinds of things. The feelings that you have, you and I, we do need to express them. Whether it's grief and sadness, joy, anger. I mean, these types of emotions that we have, they need to be expressed. We need to pay attention to them. But here is what I'm saying. Because it's also true that the feelings we have do not always give us a correct picture of reality. Meaning the feelings that we have are not always factual. Our feelings can mislead us. Our feelings can paint a picture of reality that isn't actually the way that it is. This is what happens with every single one of us. I mean, think about your life. Think about the, the words that you've said, the um, actions that you've done that you did out of emotion. And oftentimes, those are the very words that we've said and things that we've done that we wish we could take back. Or, or think about uh, also in, in your life the different decisions that you've made, that maybe they were emotion-based. Or how about perspective? You know, just the way you see things, the way you kind of see life. Emotions have a big part in shading how we approach all that, don't we? Let me just give you a really easy example, something every single one of us can relate with. How about this? I feel worthless. I mean, who in this room hasn't at some point had that thought, <clears throat> had that feeling? I feel worthless. And so the idea here is that if I feel worthless, well, then I must be worthless. And we begin to believe that, and then we begin to live that out. You see how that works. The feeling, the emotion goes to the belief, and the belief is always has to be lived out. And we begin to change and shade our lives. But then let's contrast that feeling with truth, the truth in Scripture. Because if you go to God's Word, what it says about you and I is that you are endowed with value and worth. Not because of how you feel, not because of what you do or accomplish or anything else. It's simply you have worth. The Scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image or likeness of God. 
The scripture says that you have value and it's measured in this regard too, that Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, left the throne, born into creation, died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. Why? Because God, creator of heaven and earth, wants a relationship with you. Now, if that doesn't scream out value, I don't know what does. But you see the battle that can take place there? I feel worthless. I believe I'm worthless. I live like I'm worthless. But Scripture replaces that with the truth is so different. And here we have this tension that we feel. What are we going to choose to believe? Truth or the emotions that we carry? You see how this plays out in every single one of our lives? Boy, emotions for some of us has such a grip. It has such a grip on our lives. Here's the key. Your next fill in the blank. Here it is. Your feelings are the fruit, not the root of reality. Your feelings are the fruit, not the root of reality. You may say, what does that mean? I have no idea what you're talking about. The, the, The point is this. What this means is feelings are not to define reality, but reflect it. Your feelings matter. Your emotions have purpose. There is a purpose for them, but it's not to define reality. It reflects the reality you live out. But sometimes we switch those two, and we think that the emotions that we have is what defines my reality. It's what is true. But boy, in that case, what a roller coaster we ride, isn't it? And we're all on that roller coaster to some degree. Every single one of us. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to replace the lie. The lie is what I feel must be true. Must in the sense of always, 100% of the time. If I feel it, it's true. That's a lie. That's a lie. And it's a lie that hurts us. It's a lie that gets us into so much trouble. So to just further explain how this works, I want to share a story with you. And it's a story that is true. It's in your scripture, in the Bible. In fact, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there and follow along. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a story about a guy by the name of Elijah. Now, Elijah was, was a real-life person who lived. It was, he was a man who loved God. He was a man of tremendous faith. He was, he was a person that, that, if you were to think about, just people that God used in, has used in remarkable ways. Uh, Elijah's at the top of the list. I mean, this is who he is. Elijah lived during a time in Israel's history where where things were not good. Things were not easy. See, on the throne during that time in Israel was a guy by the name of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Maybe you've heard of Jezebel. But this was a royal couple that hated God, and they were doing everything in their power to move Israel as fast as they can away from God worship. They were destroying places of worship. They were killing the prophets of God. They were uh, people that would ascribe to being followers of God. They were going after them too. And so Israel, during Elijah's day, was quickly moving away from worship in God. And what they were moving Israel toward was worship of an idol by the name of Baal. Now Baal at this time was a, an idol for, for fertility. And so people would worship Baal if they wanted a good crop or if they wanted lots of children, that kind of a thing. Now, that might sound innocent. I mean, oh, whatever, it's just fertility. It's not like that. This is a sick religion. This was a religion that worship, gathering for worship, involved prostitution. This this was a, and this turns my stomach, but this was a religion when you would gather together, you would throw your children, your firstborn, into fire and just kill them and sacrifice them. 
I mean, it was so disturbing. Even in Jeremiah chapter 19, God just calls us out. He's talking to Israel. He's like, what are you doing? How in the world could you come to a place where you worship this false god, this idol, and you're actually throwing your firstborn children, child into fire and sacrificing them? And he calls out in Jeremiah 19, he's like, I wouldn't even think of such a thing. How could you get to a place where you're doing that? But this is Israel. This is where they're at. And it's this royal couple that's leading Israel away from this. And so as you can imagine, for Elijah, he's one of these guys who is bold and aggressive. He's just kind of rough around the edges. But he was real. And he was like, I'm not going to cower. And I'm going to stand strong for God in a culture that is against God. And so you can imagine for Elijah's life, he was hunted. He was hated. Life was hard for him. But this was who he was. And this was the ministry that Elijah had during this time. Now, as God does, he orchestrated events to this moment, this epic showdown. This showdown took place on a place called, at a place called Mount Carmel. Here's a picture of it. You can go there today if you wanted to. And on this location, God brings together all these parts and pieces, all these people for this incredible showdown. I want you to imagine almost like a pay-per-view boxing match. And so you have in one corner, you have up there on Mount Carmel, you've got King Ahab is there, and he's got the 450, that's how many there were, prophets of Baal gathered. I mean, this is a crowd of people. And not only was it that crowd, there was also other crowds as well. Baal was the home team. I mean, this is who was gathered up there. So that's in one corner. In your other corner, you have Elijah, all by himself, standing there alone, representing God. And, and this is the showdown. Now, here's the thing. Elijah put his life on the line to go to that moment. See, somebody was not going off that mountain. This was to the death. And here's what happened. If you have your Bible or just follow along on the screen behind me, look what happened here. Starting in verse 20 of 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, so Ahab, now this is the king, remember. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, well, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let, us choose, uh, let them excuse me, choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of, of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So there you have it. There's the rules. There's the, the setup for the showdown that's going to happen. So grab this bull, make this altar, cut it into pieces. We're going to assemble them up here. And whoever answers by fire, God, Baal, well, that's the one who wins. And so the Baal worshipers go first, and we're just going to keep going. Jump now to verse 26. They go, they, they built this altar, altar, they prepared the bull. And then it says this, And then they uh, called on the name of Baal, this is the prophets of Baal, from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. So, so the showdown begins, the pay-per-view starts, people are sitting there watching what's going to happen, this whole scene. And so you imagine 450 uh, uh, people up there on that Mount Carmel scene you just saw dancing around, shouting and, and yelling, and they're trying to get Baal's attention. Well, after a while, Elijah, and I actually rather appreciate this, this is good humor here, is Elijah begins to make fun of them, begins to mock them. 
he you know, begins to say things like, hey, maybe Baal's on vacation, just bad timing. Or maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you should, I know, shout louder. That'll work. And so the people did. I mean, they just started shouting louder and screaming. I mean, this is getting out of control. And then they begin to cut themselves. Spears, swords, blood everywhere, yell. I mean, what, what a circus. What a scene going on here. And they did this all the way into evening. But nothing happened. There was no fire. So finally, Elijah stepped up. He called the 450 prophets over. He re- repaired the altar. And they did something a little bit odd. If you know the story, you know what happens next. They, he had people then dig a trench around this altar with the wood and the bowl on top. To dig a trench around it and had people come and, and just douse it with water over and over again. The, the wood is soaked. The bowl is soaked. The altar is soaked. It's spilling down. It's filling up the trenches and the trench is overflowing. And if people are walking or looking at this, they're like, what is he doing? And Elijah wanted to make sure that there's no trickery here. There was nothing that he was doing. This had to be God if this was going to work. And so he does all of this. And look with me now at verse 36. It says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your command. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That's it. A simple prayer. He just simply prays that prayer. And then the scriptures continue. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. It also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I mean, wow, right? I mean, what a scene here that takes place. This moment where fire from heaven just consumes everything. And the people saw and the people cry out, the Lord, he is God. They fall prostrate down. Immediately, Elijah calls for the 450 prophets of Baal to be killed. They took them down the valley and had all of them killed. Remember, I told you one of them is not coming off that mountain. And they killed them. Now, this is not in the scriptures, but as I read this, and I'm just kind of imagining this in my own mind, I imagine King Ahab staying there just in utter shock. Could not believe what he just saw. But God is moving. God is doing this incredible thing here. And you just imagine, I mean, how could anybody who saw that, including if you and I were there, how could anybody who saw that scene not also believe? Fire from heaven. Haven't seen that before. But God shows up. And so you'd imagine, I mean, obviously King Ahab is going to have this moment of repentance. He'll go home and tell Jezebel, hey, this is working out great, honey. We had it wrong, but let's repent. Let's get on the right, on the right path here. But that's not what happened at all. Uh, not at all. Let's keep going. Now we're in chapter 19, verse 1. The story continues. It says, now Ahab told the queen, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger, messenger to Elijah to say this. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if at this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, dead. This was a death threat. Queen Jezebel is not going to take this lying down. I mean, she is... She is angry and she is going after him. Now, I don't know about you, but in a moment like this, I would assume for Elijah that he would be like, hey, okay, I mean, it's not what I hoped, but I'm okay. Because, like, God's moving. 
I mean, fire from heaven, that was awesome. Anybody see that? Get that on camera. I mean, that was an incredible thing. And, and then to consider, too, that this drought that had been going on, all of a sudden, God, it's raining. He's pouring down rain on the people. The drought's over. I mean, it's one of those moments in history where God is doing so much in a short period of time. And I would just assume, and maybe you do too, that even a threat like this for Elijah, it's like, what's the big deal? She's a defeated queen. Her nation is turning away from her, away from Baal, and back to God. God is on the move. What difference does it make? But that's not what happens. What happens is actually shocking. Look with me the next verse. Here's what it says. After hearing from Queen Jezebel, it says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. What? This is Elijah, the prophet of God, who for years has stood up boldly representing and proclaiming God. And then this threat comes in, and all of a sudden fear takes over. And he runs. And he doesn't just run a little bit, like to the next town or the town after that. I mean, he runs and runs and stops. He ran 70 miles. He, he ran to a place called Beersheba, the furthest city you can go to the border in the south. I mean, you couldn't go any further and still be in Israel or in Judah. You couldn't go any further. In fact, let's keep reading here. So Elijah was afraid and, and ran for his life. It says that when he came to Beersheba in Judah, the town we just talked about, he then left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. So he runs 70 miles, he gets to the city, and he's like, this isn't far enough. I've got to keep going. Fear is still consuming this man. He leaves his companion, his servant, and then keeps going across the border into the utter desert. There's nothing out there. You can look at maps and pictures today. There is nothing there. He continues on all by himself. Because here's what happens. Oftentimes people that are discouraged, maybe even depressed, they begin to isolate. They pull away from everybody. And we see Elijah doing the same thing. His fear is just consuming him in, in this moment. It continues on. It says that he came to a, a broom tree, a big, big tree, and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. This is incredible. Here's what he said. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Anybody ever said that before? Get to a place in your life and you're like, white flag, I'm done. I've had enough. This is where he got to. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under that tree and he fell asleep. He's tired. He's emotional. What started off as fear is just now consuming everything about him and everything he believes and everything he's doing. It is completely taken over. It's taken over to such a degree. Elijah, this, this king of faith, if you will, this person that we look up to in so many ways, he comes to a place where he's having suicidal thoughts. Because he's human, like you are and like I am. And he's come to a place where the emotions that he's feeling have defined reality for him. Every single one of us can also find ourselves in that exact same you know what this highlights? This highlights how strong emotions are. It highlights how powerful they can be. I mean, how could Elijah get to this place? 
Well, we learn how. We learn why. Elijah himself tells us why. If you have your Bibles, you can look at verse 9. Just follow along on the screen behind. Look, look what it says. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him. Now, God's going to just talk to Elijah here in this dark place that he's at. And he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? Essentially, he's calling out, Elijah, what is going on? Why are you here? I didn't call you to this. You're running. What are you doing? Why are you here? And he replied, here's Elijah's words now. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. Here's the key. He said, I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. This is Elijah's stump, stump speech. In fact, we're not going to go through and look at it, but just, just take my word on this. This passage here, he gives the same speech three times. Over and over again, he keeps telling himself, because this is what he believed. He felt like he was all alone and the only one, and so he believed he was the only one. He, he, he took this on as, as reality. And essentially what he's saying is, is, God, I've given my whole life to serve you. And I feel like it doesn't even matter. You shoot fire from heaven and Ahab and Jezebel, nothing changes. And maybe the people have changed a little bit, but I just don't see this is going to work out. God, I feel hopeless. God, I feel like I failed. God, maybe even I feel like you failed. But this man emotionally has become distraught as it's beginning to impact all the beliefs that he has. To such a degree, he gets to the point where he says, I'm done. I quit. This is where he's at. This is what emotions do. His emotions misled him. Because here's the truth. The truth is, look with me at verse 18. Because in Elijah in that place, God shows up and does some incredible things in his life. We don't have time to get into all that this morning. But look what he says at the end. To Elijah, God says, I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Elijah, let me just check reality here for you. You feel alone. You feel like you're the only one. You're not. I have 7,000 actually. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him, or in other words, worshipped Baal. Again, emotions took over. Emotions controlled. And here is why this is a big deal. Your enemy, the enemy that you have and I have, Satan, he wants you and I to believe that your emotions always accurately portray reality. And the reason for that is because when you do, when you live that way, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And he can toy with you. Because you know how this works. I feel unloved, therefore I must be unlovable. I feel like God has deserted me. So it must be true he's not here. It must be true he doesn't care. I feel like my situation is hopeless. So I have no reason to go on. I believe nothing will ever change. I feel like I'm not saved. Therefore, maybe I'm not. I, I, I feel like God hasn't forgiven me. I, I don't feel forgiven. And when we believe that, maybe we begin to believe that all of a sudden God can't forgive me. That maybe I'm different. That I'm the exception. That my sins are to such a degree that what Jesus accomplished on the cross doesn't count for me. That it's just not for me. This is what happens. We become vulnerable. 
So as you know, as we say every week, what we need to do, and here's your next fill in the blank, is this. We need to combat the lie with truth. I want to close with this. Combat the lie with truth. Because here's the truth. The truth is, due to your fallen condition and mine, that what you believe, your heart, if you will, and mine can lead you astray. Your heart doesn't always get it right. Your emotions are not always accurate. Look with me at a couple of verses here. Look at this, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or how about Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind, his own thoughts, he's a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So what do we do? I want to share with you just as we close, very briefly, very quickly, two things that you can do starting today to make a difference in your life. Here's the first one. Your next fill in the blank. It's this. I just can't encourage you enough. Seek and accept godly advice. Seek out and accept godly advice. See, see foolish people, they, they do it on their own, in their own way. And by the way, that's been a whole lot of my life too. That this is what I think is the right thing to do. This is what I want to do, et cetera. This is how I feel I think I should do, whatever the case may be. And I get myself in a whole lot of trouble. But wise people know that their emotions can lead them astray. Wise people know that other people can help buffer the emotions that you have. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man, there it is, listens to advice. So I want to ask you this morning, who do you have in your life? Who is in your life that you can go to and trust that you're going to get godly advice from them, that you could, you could bounce it off? Hey, I'm feeling this way. I'm struggling with this. My perspective says this, but I just want to make sure I'm thinking right about this. Can, can you help me with this and trust that they're going to speak back to you what is true? We need this. This is why church matters. Church is not an event. Church is community. That we build relationships and we have these people in our lives. That's why small groups matter. We get in community with other people and we share with what we're going through. I'm feeling this. I'm going through that. This is hard. I invite you to speak into my life because I need to get and I need to apply godly advice in my life. So who do you have? I hope you have somebody. And I want to close with this. Last one. Not only do we need to seek and accept godly advice, your last fill in the blank, spend time in the Bible. This, this is not optional. This is lifeline. Because this is truth. And, and we need to be in God's word so that we, could, we can expose the lies and replace the lies with truth. I mean, it would be nice if there was an oil, like we started off, right? That kind of shortcut fix that we can just do to just take care of it. But that's not the way it works. It's a lie to believe that you and I can live the Christian life and not spend a lot of time in this. Even more than Sunday. This is important. We need God's word. We need truth in our lives. Look with me at Psalm 119 as we close, 105. In the band, you come on up if you would. Your word, not your emotions, not your perspective, not anything else. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Well, you know what it is? We need, you and I together, we need to end, no matter where you're at with this, or where you're at in your spiritual journey, we need to end the exhausting process of allowing our emotions dictate, determine the decisions that we make, the actions that we do, the words that we say, the perspective that we hold. We need to allow God and truth to begin to find that. In a sense, what I mean by this is that we need to, look, I know Disney or somebody says follow your heart. That's the stupidest thing ever. 
Lead your heart. Lead your heart. Because your heart will lead you astray. Put your heart and the emotions that you have that are valid. The emotions you have are real. Express them, identify them, all that's true. Put it under the lordship of Jesus and scripture, his word, and let him frame reality. That's what we have to do. Let's pray together as we just pray for all of us. This is all of us, by the way. This is me, this is you. We just need God's help to help us in this area. Father, uh, we, like I just said, we, we need you. And, and Father, you've created us as emotional beings. This is, it is what it is. And emotions are good in so many ways. But Father, for the ways that we have allowed it to control us, to define reality, I pray that there would be some deliverance from that. And that in increasing measure, we would turn to your word, that we would, we would trust in others who are gonna provide godly counsel to check us, to buffer us with the emotions that we have. Lord, we need your help with this. And so this morning, collectively, every single one of us, we're in the same place, we together ask that you would help us in this area to stop believing the lie and to start living the truth. Pray this in Christ's name. Thanks, Pastor Ryan. Let's stand together and close our worship services song. Your name is victory, your praise.
Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Um, and just one last encouragement, one last encouragement as you go. Um, as Pastor Ryan said, emotions are real. Um, we feel them. Um, but they're not always truth. And let, let God be the Lord even over your emotions and those feelings. Thanks for joining us this morning. Have a wonderful week.